Amen. And thank you, Pastor Carlos. Well, church, yes, it has been three weeks since I've been able to preach, and uh, I'm, just, I'm itching to go, so it's uh, exciting for me uh, to be back with you. But this morning, we are going to be back in our uh, series out of Matthew chapters 8 through 10. So if you are able, will you stand with me as we read from Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 28 down to 34. And when he, that is Jesus, came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, in your mercy, help us to hear from you this morning. Give us soft hearts, open ears that are ready to receive what you have for us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Church, when we encounter a passage like this, I think in times like this, it really is a blessing. Because recently, as Pastor Carlos spoke about in his, his prayer, we're confronted with the reality of evil and war. When we look at what Hamas did last Saturday on October 7th, going and kidnapping, torturing, murdering uh, innocent people, killing grandmothers and beheading babies, things that when we look at it, we really have no other word other than demonic, demonic, pure, unadulterated evil. And it often leaves us at just a loss for words. Lord, how long will this type of thing go on? How long will the pain and the suffering and the death and the war continue on and on and on? We are confronted with the reality of the demonic. What happened was so evil that even those who are generally opposed to Israel, uh, is thinking of in our, our uh, kind of mainstream media, have been able to say, yeah, that was evil. Now, there are also some that have been unable to call what happened evil, and that is tragic. We see that happening in places like Harvard and Berkeley and other uh, kind of secular institutions. But even the generally opposed to Israel have been able to say, yes, that was evil, evil. So we are confronted with the reality of the evil and the demonic. And it forces us to wonder, God, where are you and are you in control? What is God's response to the demonic? Can he deal with it? And today's passage gives us a resounding yes. We have a king 
who is indeed in control. And we have a king who does not even break a sweat when he is dealing with the demonic. We've been in this series, Behold Your King. We've been looking specifically at Christ's authority because that's what Matthew is focusing on in these chapters. But we're also seeing his compassion and how he reached out and touched the untouchable. We saw him give a radical call to discipleship because of his authority, but then he also calmed the storm with just a word. And today we see him driving out demons again with just a word. And today I hope when all is said and done we'll see that this passage is a call to us to trust in Jesus, to know that we are free from both the influence of the demonic but also from our own sin. And because of that we can resist our enemy. So that's where we're going today. I'm going to start off right off the bat. Here's our first point. We, faced re- we face real and destructive spiritual adversaries. We face real and destructive spiritual adversaries. I'm going to spend a decent amount of time unpacking this with really only one verse because I think in our culture today, this is a reality that we need to face because we live in a culture that likes to deny the reality of our opposition, of our spiritual adversaries. But we see this real and destructive adversaries right off the bat in verse 28. When Jesus comes to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. So we have these two guys who are possessed by demons, and they have a destructive power within them that is real. We have a real and destructive enemy. And Matthew wants us to see some particular things. There's that, uh, that are the ability of these adversaries is quite powerful, it's, and it's a destructive ability. Matthew is wanting us to see specifically that no one could come against them. They were so fierce that no matter what happened, no matter who stood against them, that no one could fight against them. No one could fight against them. They are the most powerful And we tend to think of the evil forces around us kind of as not really that big of a deal. But every time when demonic forces are encountered in in Scripture, they are powerful. They are never described as something that is just a mere annoyance. They are described as powerful. I think the most annoying kind of mention we get is where Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, but even then it's not necessarily, hey, this is just annoying. It's like he needs the grace of God to stand up against this threat in his life. Think about uh, just a movie like Jurassic Park. You know, there's always different types of dinosaurs that are out to get you in Jurassic Park. There's little dinosaurs that maybe aren't that big of a deal unless they gang up on you. And we tend to think of the demonic forces like those little dinosaurs, when in reality the demonic forces should be thought of like the T-Rex, the Big Bad, or whichever kind of special dinosaur they've designed in the movie. That's the enemy that we face. It's real and destructive. And what does this adversary do? Well, he's cutting them off. He cuts these two men off from society, sending them off into the tombs. They are isolated in an unclean place where people don't go. Now, by the way, this isn't like a graveyard with little headstones everywhere. These would be a place where there's a bunch of little caves that people would put bodies so they can decompose, and later on you'd go get the bones from those caves. So the the caves would provide shelter from the elements. So that's why these guys are living here. They're isolated from the rest of society. And that's what the enemy wants to do to us with his power is to cut us off and say, how can I take this person and remove him from society? But even for the Christian, how can I remove him or her from the church? And by removing us, he seeks our destruction. He doesn't just want to make us miserable. He wants to destroy us. 
What happens when these demons are sent out of these men? They go into pigs, and those pigs are immediately destroyed. They seek death. Now, why? You may be wondering, just a little side note, why pigs? Why is this kind of highlighted? Well, it shows the nature of these spirits, that they wanted to live in an unclean animal, these nasty pigs. A Jewish audience would not say, oh, shame that all these pigs are, are dead. I think here in Sioux County, we'd be like, oh, that's, we don't want to see the pigs die, and I want to eat them. But here, we, this, this for them would be like, oh my goodness, yeah, these are wicked spirits. They go to wicked animals, these unclean animals, the pigs. Our adversaries are powerful, and they seek our destruction because we are in the image of God. We represent the Lord. Even as broken as we are, we still look in a way, like our Creator. And the enemy hates that. And so he goes after us. So you wonder, why when, why does evil seem to lead to our destruction? Why, when we see demonic stuff happening, does it always involve the, the crippling or the downfall of people? Well, it's because the enemy hates people, because we are in the image of God. We have a, an, a powerfully destructive enemy. But church, we need to hear specifically that he is real that demons are real. The Bible and most cultures throughout history have just accepted this as real. Matthew doesn't spend any time trying to convince his readers that demons are real. We're the ones who need to be convinced that they are real, that there's a real spiritual realm that is powerful and is influencing the world and us. It is real. And I don't say that to scare us, but to sober us and to say, look, if we are thinking that it's not real, then we are very susceptible to its influence. Greatest lie Satan ever told was to tell the world that he wasn't real. We are the exception historically. We are the ones who struggle to believe in the demonic. Now, I praise God that we have things like science that show us the physical realities of things that exist around us, but... Physical realities don't negate the existence of spiritual realities. Satan can use physical realities as well. So yes, there may indeed be a lot of physical things like mental illness, but that have a root cause in the demonic. It's not an either or, it can be a both and. And we as Christians don't need to run away from the spiritual just because we see a physical explanation of something. The enemy wants us to do that, ignoring his existence. But he is quite real. He is quite real. Now, praise be to God that we as Christians cannot be possessed and entirely controlled by the demonic, but we can be oppressed and we can be tormented by them because we have the Holy Spirit residing within us and he certainly is not going to give way to some sort of demonic force. But that doesn't keep the demonic from necessarily coming near us and influencing us. So church, I want us to see specifically right off the bat that we have a real enemy and he is powerfully destructive. Now, how does someone end up like these two guys? There's an important connection that we need to make. Specifically, it's that the, the demonic is connected with sin. Both sin done against us and the sin that we do. So the sin that has been done against you, the trauma, the abuse, the tragedy that you have experienced, 
has opened the door for demonic things to come into your life. And the same is true of the choices that you have made. As you have sinned, you invite the demonic into your life. Now, I want to be very clear that all of us have been sinned against, but I know that some of you have been sinned against in horrendously wicked ways. That is not punishment to you from the Lord, but that it is the work of the enemy. And that there may may be demonic things that have happened to you or are even happening to you because of what has been done in the past, because of those doors that were opened into your life by other people. My heart breaks for you and it weeps, but I also stand before you this morning and I say that this passage teaches us this morning that there is great hope, that we will look at in a minute there is great hope. But I know that for many of us, We also make choices in the here and now that continue to open those doors to the demonic. Now, why why am I relating sin and the demonic? Because sin is rebellion against God. And so when we are rebelling against God, we're basically kind of walking in a direction that is aligned with the direction that the demons are walking. It's like being in fellowship with them and kind of looking at them and saying, hey, I'm going to be your buddy. And they're like, oh, I'm going to ride with this guy. He's on our side. That's what sin is. It's looking at the, at the demonic world and saying, yes, I want what you want because they want the downfall of God, and that's what sin is. It's looking at God and saying, I don't want you to be king, which is exactly what the demons say and do. We have a tendency to look at sin and say, it's not that bad. It's pretty minor. Even the first sin, think about it. It was just eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just fruit. What's the big deal? But as Dale so eloquently put it on Tuesday morning, sin isn't just mistakes I feel bad about. It is rebellion against a holy and righteous God, even if it feels very small. Yesterday, I spent the whole day in my garage doing woodworking. Yes, Rox was away at the retreat, and uh, the girls took care of the the toddler. Praise be to God for them. Uh, But I was doing a lot of sanding and stuff, and I did not wear my dust mask because I didn't look too hard for it, and I decided I couldn't find it when I looked for a whopping total of about 30 seconds. And dust, specifically wood dust when you're sanding, is really small. You can't see it. And at the beginning of the day, I'm thinking like, oh, this is not not that big of a deal. I'll be fine. I tell you, I'm feeling it this morning. Like my sinuses and everything are like, why did you do that to us? But that's the way we treat sin. We're like, oh, it's just just a little bit. I can't see it. Nobody else can see it. What's the big deal? Meanwhile, you're poisoning yourself and opening yourself up to the demonic. And sin doesn't just incur God's wrath because of its wickedness. It really enslaves and oppresses us. And you look at these two men, who knows how eventually they got there to being demon-possessed, but I can guarantee you they were both sinned against and they probably sinned themselves, opening themselves up to this world, and now they find themselves isolated and cut off from society, and they need Jesus to save them. They need Jesus to save them. So, again... We, may, we face real and destructive spiritual adversaries. Church, I want to start there because if we do not start there, the message of this passage will fall on deaf ears. We must see the nature of the adversary we face. So we have a par- powerful and real adversary. But do we cower in fear? No. Because we have a good and powerful king. 
Our king has greater power and authority than our spiritual adversaries. He has greater power and authority than our spiritual adversaries. And I praise God for that. Because this is the type of king that we need. So let's look at verses 29 to 31 again. As Jesus encounters these men. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So we see Jesus is the authority who will judge. He has all of that authority. He is the judge, and they recognize Him as such. And we see here, too, just kind of a hint that indeed a judgment is coming. And the demons know it. There's no escape from it. It's not a maybe. It's not a perhaps someday. But yes, one day there will be full and complete judgment and healing and restoration of all things. Okay, so have you, come to torment, have you come here to torment us before the time? And then Matthew notes, Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. What does Jesus do? And he said to them, Go. Go. And they went. He uses one word. In the Greek, it's one word as well. Matthew is making an emphasis. All Jesus had to do was speak a word. This is the only thing Jesus says in the entire little passage. Jesus doesn't go into a speech. He doesn't do any magical incantations. He doesn't do a dance. He doesn't do any sort of special exorcism stuff. What does he do? Go. One word. Simple command. And remember, these demons were so powerful that when they're cast out, they take a whole herd of pigs. And Mark tells us it's 2,000 pigs. He, they kill a whole herd of pigs rushing down a steep bank into the waters, drowning in the sea. With one word, Jesus controlled that kind of force. Now, the way that Matthew tells this story is much more simple than the way that Mark and Luke do. I I told you before that Matthew's not interested in being a a good storyteller. He doesn't ratchet up any tension. He just kind of tells it as he is. There's no what if, there's no doubt as to what's going to happen. He simply is like, Jesus says, go when it happens. In our, our world today, historically speaking, Batman has been more popular than Superman. Okay, why is that? aside from the fact that the Batman movies have generally been better than the Superman movies. So I say that as a Superman fan. But Batman is generally more popular than Superman because he's a mere mortal. He's just a man. So he's seen as more relatable because when he gets into a fix, when he's struggling, there's greater tension as to what's going to happen. How is Batman going to get out of this one? We generally know how Superman's going to get out. Well, he's Superman. But Batman has to come up with something clever. Matthew doesn't do a Batman here. There's no tension. He just has Jesus say, go. Jesus does not give us any suspense as to whether he has authority over the demonic. It makes for a terrible story, but it makes for the right kind of king. That is what we need. Not a good story, but a perfect rescue. Jesus is our all-powerful King. He is the righteous judge. He is the authoritative ruler. He is the undeniable creator. He is the mighty conqueror. He is our Lord of life. He is our Prince of Peace. 
He is the rock of ages and the lion of Judah. He has the name that is above all names. He is Yahweh and there is no other. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the transcendent I Am. He needs no one to sustain Him or to give Him permission for anything. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. He is our Jesus, the Christ. That is the one that we serve. He sends away the demons with a word. So our King has greater power and authority than our spiritual adversary. So what does this mean for us? It's this. So we have freedom from the power of sin and Satan. We have freedom from the power of sin and Satan. And church, I cannot express enough just how beautiful and amazing this is. We need these words. Because we so often fall prey to the belief that we are enslaved to sin and that Satan somehow has authority over us. And we experience this because so often we find ourselves encountering sin and we're like, I know I'm walking down this road and I have no idea how to say no. Here I find myself again doing this thing that I said I wasn't going to do or thinking this thought that I said I wasn't going to think or treating this person this way. I just vowed that I was never going to treat them again. Yet here I am. Sin must have control over me. The enemy must be in power over me. But praise be to God, Jesus is the one who has the power, so we actually have freedom. For those of you who have experienced tremendous trauma, abuse, damage in your life, this should be especially hopeful. Because our world, our culture says, you are a slave to your past. You were abused, you're destined to abuse, or you're destined to have trouble your entire life. But here we see Jesus promises freedom. Now that doesn't mean that our life will be smooth sailing, but it does mean that it doesn't have authority over us. We can, in Christ, say yes to the good, the true, the beautiful, the righteous, and the magnificent. We can choose the good. Jesus is more powerful than any problematic pattern that you were raised in. He has the ability to break the cycle of sin that has been happening in your life. And praise be to God, He already has broken it if you are in Christ. Romans 6, verses 6 to 7 says this, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. This has died there, speaking spiritually. We have spiritually died with Jesus on the cross, and it's also in the perfect tense, this idea in the Greek especially, that something has happened in the past that has created a future state that is ongoing. When Jesus says, it is finished, the Greek is literally, it has been finished. Something has been done in the past, and it has created a new reality that will go on forever and ever. That's what's the idea that's happening here. You have not just been set free temporarily, you have been set free permanently. You can stop sinning. It has no authority over you. Now, we will still sin, but for each individual sin you are able to say no. You're able to walk in freedom. Paul also says in Colossians 2, 
verses 13 to 15, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Here, Paul combines the idea that the demonic have been put to open shame, they've been triumphed over, this all happened on the cross. He combines that idea with the forgiveness of sins. Sin has no power. Satan has no power. We are free to walk in Christ. So why does Matthew include a little story of Jesus driving out demons out of these two guys? Is it just because he's like, well, this was an interesting thing to happen. I think I'll put it in my book. No. He's like, Christians, you need to know the freedom that you have. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, before our rebellion, because he did that, we are forgiven. We are free. The power of sin is broken. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but Jesus does not promise full deliverance from the presence of all demonic forces here and now, just the power of demonic forces and sin. So, this week we're kind of looking at the power of sin. Next week we're going to be looking at the penalty of sin and how we're free from that as well with the idea of forgiveness. But the presence of sin, the presence of Satan is still a reality. Think about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, Paul talks about how a messenger of Satan was given to him to keep him from becoming conceited. And because of that, Paul had to continually rely on the Lord's grace. He pleaded three times for the Lord to take away this thorn, this messenger of Satan. And what was God's response? No. God, with a word, could have said, go. But instead to Paul, he said, no. Why? Because he wanted Paul to know his grace. He wanted Paul to be reminded that he is weak. So there may still be things in your life that you plead with the Lord to take away. And it doesn't have power over you, but it may be present in your life. And God may say, no, I have a reason that this is in your life. So I don't want you to hear me saying, as I preach on how the power of the demonic and sin is broken, that that means it will magically be gone. We still live in a fallen world. You're surrounded by sinners. If you go live in a desert you'll still be surrounded by sinners because you'll be there with yourself. And that's also what the enemy wants you to do, to just to cut yourself off from society. Now, <clears throat> what do we do with all this? So we have freedom from the power of sin. What do we do? Well, I've been walking through. I want us to be aware of Satan. I want us to be aware of Jesus. But I think kind of where I think this goes, what's our response to it? is we need to resist Satan in the power of Jesus. As I'm aware of Satan, and as I'm aware of Jesus, then I resist Satan in Christ's power. In Ephesians 6, which we'll be looking at uh, Ephesians uh, come the new year, so I don't want to preach on this too much, but we see Paul speaking at the end of the book, and he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So again, like the devil's still active. And Paul doesn't say just do a bunch of crazy exorcisms and make the devil go away. No, he says stand firm, put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against his schemes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
So there's a real enemy, but God has given us the strength through Christ to resist so that we can say no to sin. So imagine yourself in a battle. You're standing there with your armor, and the enemy's coming at you, and you've got the shield on. But this is all the armor of God. It's armor that God has given us. And by the way, all the commands to put on the armor of God are all plural. So you're standing in a line with the people of God, with the church, and it's like Jesus is both the armor and He's standing behind you, holding you up, saying, yes, you've got this. You can resist because I am here with you. Keep going, my child. Resist the enemy. I have power over him. You do not need to fear. You can trust Jesus and bring your sin into the light. You can confess it. You can turn away from it because you are free in Christ. You don't have to listen. Now, you may struggle with the idea of doing that, of turning away from your sin and bringing it into the light. I'd say that's a huge part of turning away from your sin. If you are not bringing your sin into the light, then you're not really turning from it. And that may sound scary. But I want to say that we have a king who is so good and he loves us dearly. I want to look at the city and and their response to him and, and plead with you to not have their response. They begged Jesus to leave. All the city came out to meet Jesus and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. That's the same word that was used of the demons. The demons were begging him to leave. They saw what Jesus did and Matthew even comments that that what they've been told was especially what happened to the demon-possessed men. He doesn't even talk about the pigs anymore. So the city is like, oh my goodness, this guy has incredible power and instead of saying, hallelujah, you are God himself, what do they say? Leave us. So when you are confronted with your sin and you see that Jesus has power, your response needs to be, oh Jesus, with your power, heal me, protect me, not leave me. And bring your sin into the open saying, I'm going to put it out in the open, Jesus, so that I can be with you. I don't want to have this uncleanness, this nastiness with me anymore. Look at this redemptive twist, just through this whole section. It's not really a twist, but you know, this redemptive element of what Jesus does. Jesus, if if you're struggling to trust Jesus with with your sin and the demonic, Jesus loves people over pigs. 2,000 pigs die for two men because Jesus loves them. They're in his image. And we see that with Jesus' arrival, the kingdom of heaven is here and it's bringing restoration. Those who are oppressed by the demonic, those who are possessed by the demonic, those who are alone, they are brought freedom. Those men were no longer under the authority and influence of the demons. They are now free to walk as God intended. Jesus calls us to have a high view of people. The demonic world gives us no high view of people. That's why you see the tragedies that Hamas, or the, not the tragedies, the atrocities that Hamas was perp- perpetuating was against people made in the image of God. And that's because they were listening to the demonic. And the demonic wants to destroy what is in God's image. But Jesus undoes Satan's destructive work. Satan had made these men unrecognizable, driven them out of society, but Jesus puts them in their right mind and they're able to go back into society. That is the work that Jesus does. So if you are struggling with, can I trust this Jesus if I bring my sin to the light, if I walk with Him? Yes, you can. You can. Because He is this type of King. 
You can trust him. So, if Jesus were to look at your life, and there was something in your life, whether demonic or sinful, and he were to say, go to that sin or demonic influence, what would it be? What needs to be cast out of your life? By the way, when this word cast out, the literal Greek word is like to throw out. It's like this violent, like throwing of a ball. It's not just like, hey, you know, get out of here. It's like this glorious thrown out and slam the door type idea. Love it. He does, will do that in your life. There might be obvious sins, such as in Colossians 3.5 of sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, drunkenness, which would include things like drug abuse, video game addiction, gambling, that type of stuff. Or it may be the less obvious of anger that only manifests itself at home. Or maybe you find yourself gossiping. Or maybe you have a materialistic obsession with stuff. And you're always chasing more money. And yes, you give faithfully to the church, yet your heart is really controlled by the pursuit of more wealth. And it's acceptable in our society, but in God's eyes, it's demonic. Demonic. Maybe you see yourself falling prey to coarse joking, or maybe you're just a jerk online, whatever it may be. There are those less obvious sins that Jesus may be putting his finger on in your life and saying, turn from that because it's inviting the demonic even if it seems small. All the way from the big of, of genocide to the small things of I'm just harboring kind of thoughts in my head of evil towards others that nobody knows about, but it allows bitterness to grow in my heart. Yes, it may be on a spectrum, but all of it invites the demonic and it is rebellion against God. And Jesus invites you to bring it out because Jesus has more authority over it, uh, uh, has authority and power over it, and he invites you to walk with him. He invites you to experience his grace and power. So big idea for today. Christian, Jesus has set you free from sin and Satan. You don't have to follow Satan, and you don't have to sin. You're free. You're free. We have fierce and powerful adversaries. They're real. But we have a king who simply speaks a word, who frees us from destruction and death. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you have all authority, that you gave all authority to Jesus, and he simply speaks and drives out the wicked and the demonic, the sinful and the broken. Lord, have mercy on us and remove the evilness from us. Help us to walk with you in righteousness and holiness. Lord, may we see your grace and mercy and walk with you knowing that you are good. Thank you, Lord, for restoring your image in us day by day, making us more and more like Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us to walk with you, help us to bring our sin into the light, help us to trust you fully. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.